0: Before we delve into today's episode, we'd like to acknowledge that we recorded this on October the 22nd, 2023, just two days before the lamentable passing of the star of this film and cult iconoclast Richard Roundtree at the age of 81. Adam and I extend our heartfelt gratitude to Richard for his invaluable contributions to the world of cinema.
1: Opinions are like assholes. Everybody
0: has one. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. Uh, you know, Wobbles, oh. I'm kind of mad at you. And as a reasonable man, i wanted to do was necessary to find a peaceful solution to his problem. Welcome to the Punching Up Movie Podcast, Episode 7. Here we are back again to delight your ears with our mumbling and stumbling about films. For those of you who are first time listeners, the Punching Up Movie podcast takes to task great films from the canon, both cult classic and beloved popular films that Adam or Damien may have a problem with. For those repeat offenders, I want to say thank you so much for listening to any of the previous episodes. Your support is massively encouraging and we appreciate it immensely. So without further ado, I'm Damien and this is Adam. And before we get started, Adam, could you let the listeners know which film we'll be discussing today and give them a brief synopsis?
1: All right, we'll be discussing the 1971 uh, black exploitation classic, uh, Shaft. And the plot is actually quite simple because it's about a, 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 a sort of a, a black detective, black private detective in 1970s New York, namely Times Square. He operates out of an office in Times Square and Harlem who is more or less sort of bullied if you could bully Shaft you can't really uh, into um working for a mobster um, whose daughter has been kidnapped he thinks by black militants but it turns out it's the white mafia and as um the Italian you know the Italian mafia Italian American mafia and as uh, Shaft sort of delves deeper into this um into into this sort of uh, kidnapping plot he um teams up with the black militants to rescue this woman and on the way, makes love with lots of women. So there we oh, go. Very, very
0: nice, thank you. Well, so as,
1: as Adam said, Shaft was released
0: in 71, and it is widely considered, if not the film, uh, that kicked off the black exploitation film genre in America. Um, directed by Gordon Parks, who had already had an illustrious career as a photographer and writer, this was only his second film and his debut, The Learning Tree, which I did want will talk about later on um, was adapted from his own novel and was released to critical acclaim in 68 he not only directed the learning tree but he produced wrote the screenplay and composed the score so with shaft he literally helped kick the doors off the hinges for black cinema in america in what was maybe one of the most important films directed by and starring african americans as Adam said, the story of a black detective, John Shaft, played by Richard Roundtree in his career-defining debut starring role, Gordon Parks introduced us to the first black superhero on screen. What Black Panther did for Black Kids in 2018, Shaft did for people of African descent all over the world in 1971. Set to the incredible soundtrack by Isaac Hayes and the Bar K's and Movement, Shaft takes no shit and walks around like he owns the city, the very epitome of black power, coming at the height of the civil rights movement in America at the time. So, Adam, could you give us some more background on the film, please?
1: Yeah, well, it, it was really the the sort of I, I think not to oversimplify it. It it, it was the it was a combination of the efforts of I think four people that made this film successful. Uh, let's start with the novel because it was it was it was based on a novel written weirdly enough by a white guy, Ernest Tidyman, who was a crime reporter turned novelist. Uh, in the 60s, was, you know, sort of floundering a little bit um, with his novels and was encouraged by his agent to write novels that were of um, sort of political and social significance. So he wrote a hippie novel called Flower Power, which I don't think did very well. And then he came across the idea of writing, you know, a, a kind of hard boiled, Novel that, um, you know, uh, that, that reflected the black experience and had a black central character. So he creates John Shaft, he submits the manuscript, and his agent actually says, This is a bit soft, you need to make it more violent. So he puts in the scene that's actually in the film of, of, of John Shaft throwing a, a mobster's uh bodyguard through the window of his office. And um, and and, and and the novel is successful. The galleys um go around Hollywood and and off the back of writing shaft he gets the gig writing the screenplay for the french connection which which he ends up winning an oscar for and this gives him a lot of juice to sort of get uh shaft turned into a movie now initially i think he gets a little bit of commercial cold feet and he changes shaft to a white guy in the script but then you know he's 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 gordon it's gordon parks that sort of casts richard roundtree who's the second piece of the puzzle who hadn't done much work was um done some commercials but he's, he's spotted by parks and put in the movie and this becomes an integral part of uh you know the film's success roundtree's sex appeal his swagger the way he looks in a black leather jacket um the and parks is an incredible person he's had this phenomenal career as you said as a as a, as a as a still photographer you know and 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 he's a real autodidact he's born in poverty in Kansas kicked out of his family when his mother died you know when his sister was raised um taught himself to play and read music and and you know and then was inspired by um you know rural photography field photography of 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 like Kansas workers buys a camera teaches himself how to you know take photographs and then through a series of sort of events where he hustles displays his work gets 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 blessed with the i think joe lewis the heavyweight champion of the world's wife sees one of his pictures and then eventually just get he gets this incredible job being the first black photographer for life magazine and alternates between chronicling black urban life and shooting you know uh, fashion stills and and as you said that that leads to him being encouraged to write his autobiography well, or no, semi-autobiographical novel The Learning Tree which you know leads to him writing directing being the cinematographer and the composer on The Learning Tree and and then that leads to Shaft and, and then and then the last person is Isaac Hayes and so Isaac Hayes um He's a rising star. He's actually, he is a star, a big star of stacks. As a songwriter. He's written Soul Man. He's delivered these albums, had a big hit with Hot Buttered Soul. And then he's he's offered this soundtrack. And the soundtrack really, you know, kind of almost, I, I, I we'll talk about this later, I said, it, the afterlife of the soundtrack is probably greater than the film. And its influence is just as important as the movie. And, and all these things come together. The film costs half a million to make and MGM are really downscaling at this point they're in recession they're not doing very well and they're looking for sort of cheap products that they can control get in on time and so they 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 spend half a million on the movie and then a further half a million uh recruiting uh, a black marketing company called uniworld and and they just do an absolutely fantastic job in um you know promoting this movie and then the movie goes on to become one of their three biggest box office successes. It's sort of, you know, on an investment of one million, it makes sort of twelve or thirteen million um, in in nineteen seventy one, and 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 like you said, Damien, opens the door to about a decade of investment in, you know, sort of black genre cinema, which has has come to be known. You know, some people embrace the term, it's a pejorative term to others, black exploitation, you know, and, and creates stars out of people like Pam Greer, Ron O'Neill, Fred Williamson, and then and then just gives work to incredible black character actors for about a decade, and then the bubble bursts and everything goes back to normal until <laughs> Boys in the Hood and right and, 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 and Spite Lee start, you know, start start sort of appearing on the scene. So there we go. So Brilliant. so uh, yeah. That was so, amazing. So do you want to say why I don't like this film? <laughs> Yeah, or, or what uh, I've got against it? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, all right. I, I, I let let me start with the positives. I think I think it's an authentic cultural landmark. It, it is of absolute historical importance. I think it was one of the movies that was preserved. Is I can't remember. Was it but like by some great American cultural institution um, for preservation as as a film of cultural importance? It Absolutely deserves that. Um, it's actually rather averagely and ineptly made there's not one thing that's wrong with it there's one thing that's very very right with it arguably two things um but I think you know I think its success is largely down to its enduring success is largely down to the iconography of Richard Roundtree who looks fantastic the opening sequence which which um where he walks through Times Square which has become a bit of a time capsule now because there's a lot of nostalgia for Times Square as it was in the seventies and eighties, when it was this kind of wild, rough place full of porno cinemas, but you know, you know, and it, yeah, and and, um, and and just culture and and life and death, and you know, and and even though you can walk down there now without fear of getting dragged into an alley and like horrible things happening to you, I think people who were there kind of missed the edge of it and the color of it, and um, yeah, so so round and the soundtrack, you know, so so those three things sort sort of really. Like propel it and and keep people watching it, and, and and maybe finesse the memory of it. But the actual experience of sitting down and watching it is, considering it's 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 made by I think you know looking at, I, I was I was kind of new to to Gordon Parks photography, a, a brilliant stills photographer. Mm.
0: His,
1: his composition isn't that good in the films. I think his editing, considering it had a, I think had the Oscar nominator, Oscar winning editor of, um, Midnight Cowboy. And it's actually quite clumsily edited. The acting's very, very broad. I think um, Roundtree's a great star. I'm not sure he's a great actor in this. I think he goes on in his career to become a phenomenal character actor. And it's this accumulation of details in which the, the action's a bit sloppy. You put it all together, and it's actually it's not a long film. Feels a little bit longer than it than it actually is. It's a little bit boring in places. It's it, it's it's just very broad and just a bit sloppily made and it's this accumulation of details um that that and and i'll tell you on the publicity the brilliant publicity it invites comparison there's two there's two comparisons it, it invites one inadvertently and one directly or three um in the poster um i'm assuming this was part of the poster campaign by uniworld it says hotter than bond cooler than bullet so it's inviting comparison yeah well bond at that point was um like quite a flabby Sean Connery with a wig. So fair enough. I'll give them that. And like the Bond films, Diamonds Are Forever. Cooler than Bullet? Absolutely not. You know, I, I like Richard Roundtree, but he's not Steve McQueen. And, and you you watch Bullet and Shaft next to each other. And and the difference is seismic in terms of the quality of one and the kind of held together with sticky tape nature of the other. This sort of slightly ramshackle nature of the other. Um, and also, like, there's a bit where they're sort of he's driving or walking through Harlem. And you, I always lo- love looking at like cinema fronts and old movies just to see, like, what was on at the time. They've got Get Carter as well, oh, which came yeah. out at the same time. Yeah, you notice know, that much better movie. So that, that yeah. might be inadvertent, but it's, it's a much better movie. You know, you know, and and it's occupying similar sort of territory. It's this like kind of reinvention of noir. It, it's a lot. It's grubby. It's a nasty world. It's very driven by you know kind of fashion plate gangster in this place. You know, and and it, and it just. Again, just, just Barry's shaft as a piece of cinema, but everything else in terms of what it represents culturally and also the better movies it opened the door for, yeah, it, it deserves its place. So that's why I think we can kick it. Yeah,
0: around. I agree, uh, in most of those, uh, with most of what you said there. Um, mm-hmm. it's not the 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 most entertaining film it doesn't flow as well as you would want it to mm. i hadn't really noticed the uh, lack of composition as far as photography goes but now you're saying you're talking about the editing and i did know that um i can't remember his name who um, edited midnight cowboy you would have expected you know coming off the back of an oscar to have something a little bit more and interestingly enough, and I'm going to flip around. Um, uh, "Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song," which came out the year before, which was Melvin Van Peebles, yeah. which was uh, by many that and "Cotton Comes to Harlem" were both uh, mentioned as like sort of precursors, precursors to Shaft, and really um, uh, helped open the doors for black exploitation. I think Shaft did it on a commercial level. I think um, uh, "Sweet Sweetback." Uh, was definitely on a sort of more indie arty experimental um, uh, tip there's lots of uh, really fast edits and cuts and it's not a very cohesive film um, but it's quite dynamic it has more sort of mm. uh, uh, visual dynamism to it cotton comes to harlem is again is a little bit i rewatched that that um, again for this film it's uh a bit pedestrian, you know, probably not as good as the um the the novel that it was based on which you introduced me to Chester Yeah well the
1: the novels are amazing. The not, not yeah they're, they're sort of, Chester Himes novels are brilliant. And yeah. as 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 is I, I sorry to you know no, as, okay. I forgot to mention no I forgot to mention that Ernest, Ernest Tidyman went on to write uh almost like half a dozen more shaft novels. And I happen to have one. I had The the sort of the first novel he wrote after after, like the first shaft book, Shaft Among the Jews, which is kind of like a horrible title that I thought I was in for kind of an inadvertently comic read, but it's actually really well written. And and the shaft of that novel has a bit more dimension than the shaft of the film. And and it's just, it's a terrific crime novel. So, and, and, and it spawned two sequels, the film, which we can talk about. Did you read the shaft book? i didn't i i have it but i've got it in storage so i I could have sort Mm. of fished it out i I didn't i I remember reading it this might be a very very faint memory i remember sort of reading it like years ago or trying to read it just putting it down so i think it was very well written but Mm. shaft among the jews is brilliant It's, it's a really really good novel um and yeah I wonder not-
0: how different the uh, the the shaft novel is to the film um narratively because it yeah. feels like the the film again is it, sort of it's like an episode of shaft became a tv series didn't it for yeah. like two yeah. episodes and it feels yeah, it like didn't, it didn't a, a, a 70s like police procedural mm-hmm. um the film feels like that apart from obviously the iconic opening in times square that you said and the incredible soundtrack that you know we yeah. wrote. Will- talk about a little bit um yeah i think the narrative is a little bit um just there's nothing really to it it's it's a bit sort of no. numbers isn't it really
1: but but that but that shouldn't matter if everything else is 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 if all the other working parts are uh, in motion because how many crime films have got very very simple narratives but it's all about the execution the style you know the um i mean like dirty Harry is you know is is a very because yeah, that came out the same year as well, and I think that sort of towers above it. And 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 Dirty Harry is a very simple narrative, just about a cop who's trying to catch a killer and, and the law sort of gets in his way. So he does what he can to get it. But it's but again it's about the style and it's about Eastwood and you know like and, and Don Siegel's composition. And none of that's none of that's here in in, in It's here, it's it's here in just sort of such sparing moments. It it it, it sort of it gets overwhelmed everything else and i was surprised at how bad a lot of the acting is you know from good actors as well so you've got that bit and i always remember this from the first time i saw it and you've got moses gunn who's a good actor you know plays like is it bumpy jonas the um, uh sort uh, of it's
0: sort of like loosely based on uh bumpy johnson right
1: yeah yeah i believe so um and and there's that bit where he's going give me back my baby and and his and his lips quivering almost like i don't know if you 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 know you've watched an episode of the in Betweeners where jay Right, um, starts crying and he does that comedy lip wobble and it's really right. funny because it's supposed to be and he's kind of doing that and, th- and then there's a weird scene where 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 shaft is talking to a waitress and i don't know how she's been directed but her eyeline's really weird she's not looking at him it's like she's looking at like something in the in, in the far off corner and it's just it's just it it, it, it just sort of it, it dislocates you out of the scene and this and there's I think a lot of a lot of moments like that, either visually or in terms of the acting, and even even Roundtree is like very broad. I think his reactions are... It almost sounds like he's dubbed. You know, the, you know, there's the bits where he's, he's interchanged. I think his best relationship is with the white cop, and they seem to have this sort of love hate relationship, and and that's good. And and you know, but there's a bit where you know they're they're, they're you know there's there's a kind of there's a, there's a sort of a, a reuse of the word shitty or something like that, and he goes. Uh, um, you know, he goes close the door yourself. Shit, <laughs> and he's laughing like like he's dug in a spaghetti western. Oh yeah, that was yeah, uh, yeah, and, and there's not the it? Yeah, yeah, and then and then and then it it's it, sort it's a bit of a back and forth between them, um, and it, it's it, yeah, it's just it's it's kind of yeah, it's it's a it's a kind of weird one because everything's either a bit too much or not enough, and it and it's 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 a. It's, it's a little and, and then and then a bit because I think I think I remember reading I think in a Lennon Mountain film guide that it talked about shaft having the, the, the a, a perfect last sort of 13 minutes so that's that's the kind of assault on the um on the compound on on, on, on you know in the um, in the tenement where bumpy's daughter's being held and 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 that's actually quite a tight action sequence but then they just ruin it because you've got all these like you know it's this very Precision time-based almost like SAS-like assault. And even the bit that should be ridiculous, like Shaft sort of swinging in in a rope through a window with a with a Molotov cocktail works. But then they have this ridiculous bit where they start fire-hosing all the gangsters down, and this tough, tight action sequence becomes comical when it doesn't need to be. One of the things I did like about it, I think it's I think it's, it's well-cast in its tinier roles. So, so there's a lovely performance. There's a lovely kind of introduction to Antonia Vargas, yeah you know it, it, yeah, yeah who who would go on Yeah, you know, people of a certain age will know what we talk about others assuming that we have listeners under under a certain age might not know what we talk about but he 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 was like massively famous i think off the back of this film for playing like huggy bear who was uh, in in tv series starsky and Hutch you know and and, uh, and he more or less does a dummy run um for that and then, and then he and then he was the go-to guy for pimp's wasn't he in in, in uh you know yeah, in all the black exploitation yeah. films and and and, and and I really like, uh, and this works a lot better in the sequel. Actually, yeah. I really like because there are a few characters that cross over into Shaft's big score. I really like Bumpy's heavy, his his like right hand yeah. man. Yeah, he was and, good. Do and you know who he is? Yeah, and it's he, Muhammad Ali or something, is it? Yeah, wait, well, wait, well, yeah, it was it was Ray bundini Brown who was Muhammad Ali's corner man and hype man, man and he was he was right, the guy yeah. that would come and you know to do backwards and forwards with him with his, you know, his guy who'd come in and say rumble, young man rumble, and mm. and he's the guy that Jamie Fox plays in in the Ali film and All he's right. there and he, and he, and he's a good actor and he's great and yeah. and he and he's kind of and he pitches it just right ironically considering he's not the professional actor and the, and then he's great in Shaft's big score you know because it's more or less a you know for, for chunks of the movie it's like him and shaft form a bit of a sort of slightly antagonistic spiky re, so, sort of um like reluctantly respectful double act as they're as they're trying to sort of sort out whatever problem is at the heart of Shaft's big score, which I've completely forgotten about, you know, because yeah. you know, he's not really plot driven films, particularly. Yeah. It, it,
0: it's quite interesting that a film like an action film like Shaft should be sort of, you know, shot without the artistic flair that you'd expect um, Gordon Parks to to bring to the table. Yeah considering obviously all the photography um amazing like uh, you, you've obviously seen a lot of that stuff all that stuff is great right it looks yeah phenomenal um it's, it's it's framed beautifully but the learning tree is a really good film yeah like it it it's it's a great debut feature that really like moves along with rhythm It is a little bit coming-of-age film by the numbers. It it had a little bit of To Kill a Mockingbird about it. It also felt uh, the music that he scored himself was, like, just really lovely. Um, It it felt like those, I don't know, Saturday morning picture shows uh, at the cinema. Did you ever go to
1: those? Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, like the Children's Film Foundation.
0: Yeah, Uh, but they also slot in like American films or they'd slot in like oh, right, yeah. a bit of uh, uh, Huckleberry Finn or, or yeah. Tom Sawyer, that sort of thing. It has that kind of feel to it. Um, very. Oh, it's funny because it's it's like a family film, but there's like people die in it and there's mm. danger, which is like at that time that happened a lot more, didn't it? You know, you didn't get it wasn't so sanitized. Um, yeah. I was surprised by how well the film was executed considering how averagely Shaft was executed
1: afterwards. And Ditto Shaft's big score. I think Shaft's big score is technically a lot more accomplished. It's, it's boring until the last sort of 15 minutes where he, he just sort of delivers this incredibly long spectacular action sequence. which is almost like this sort of speedboat chase come fight with a helicopter with mafia on you know sort of shooting at him like mm. the you know, running through a warehouse and he's got this kind of automatic shotgun that he keeps keeps behind his bookshelf actually and and that and that's a uh, phenomenal I think I think you know when, when I think about Shaft's big score I just think about that and also he composed the music to Shaft's big score so he's he's, he's you know he's, he's really sort of again creating a rod for his own back by coming, you know, having having the hubris, if you like, not to not to rehire Isaac Hayes. I think you just contribute one song, and then just doing the soundtrack himself. And it is a really good soundtrack, like blow yeah. your mind. The yeah. um, you know the the, the, the the theme is really underrated. I mean, I mean, I it, mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna be condemned to standing in, forever in the shadow of like theme from Uh which which we didn't mention went on to win, went on to win Oscar for best original song first. Yeah. Um, African American uh, musician to ever win an Oscar, yeah. and uh, and 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 it's brilliant, you know, and, and so. But but Gordon Parks does a better job, in in but but yet somehow it, it's not quite as interesting as Shaft because the 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 locations are a little bit more uniform, and 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 the one thing that's great about Shaft is its location work. It is a, it is a great sort of document of of New York in the seventies. Time capsule, yeah, yeah, time capsule, and uh, you know. It, yeah, and, and and so yeah, he is he is a he's an accomplished filmmaker, you know. Either side of Shaft, um, I've not seen Lead Belly, I've not seen anything else he did. I haven't seen the Learning Tree for my sense. I was I was I was like tapped out the Shaft movies. I, I went a bit all mm-hmm. in on, like I, I I couldn't I couldn't watch the you know the Netflix one that was the most recent one, which absolutely nobody apart, apart from one person on there trailers from hell and i think that's just out of a sheer spirit of perversity we'll stick up for um yeah and and, and it, yeah it's it's it's, it's interesting but, but but in a way i why should a stills photographer be a good i mean you, you'd imagine that they would be but it's Gilbert. not a given that if yeah 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 oh yeah yeah and i suppose you're right and i was thinking of anton corbin as well you know like the yeah. the, the work he did on control control is a brilliant film yeah yeah the, Look, the joint division you- film yeah, yeah. And, but, but it's also an extension of his photography as yeah. well uh, and he shot at joy division as well so, so and this doesn't seem to me this doesn't seem to be his photography come to life at all it just seems like it, it, it's sort of made by someone completely different has no relation to his still photography and i, I don't really know why like uh,
0: um, a director for hire or something um, uh, he was in his late fifties when he, when he directed Chats. Yeah, he was, like, yeah. In a sense, he'd had like, he'd had his career, like his main career mm-hmm. had been sort of done. And now he, you know, uh, gets to direct this film uh, and maybe, I don't know. Cause he was, he was involved in the soundtrack with Isaac Hayes, um, uh, suggesting uh, various things along the way. And, um, and sort of pushing him towards the sort of theme from Shaft, saying, "Oh, I like the 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 bass, you know." Um, uh, bring that in. Like I saw a, a, a documentary, and it was it had them uh, back in the studio, and it was great. So, like, obviously, the guy knows music and everything, but
1: yeah, I don't, it's, it's it's strange.
0: It's
1: but but then but then I, I I'd be suspicious. I'd be suspicious of his 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 claims of co-authorship with the because he, he, he sort of did that. He did he was a little bit of a credit hog, I think, because he, he more or less cuts Ernest Tidyman out of the equation and his his subsequent sort of writings about Shaft almost like, you know, yeah, it, it was distasteful to have a white guy have any mm-hmm. kind of involvement. I don't know, I, mean, I don't know that that was what his motives I don't want to project motives onto it. But he, he was and, and I think if you look at the 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 sort of arc of Isaac Hayes's work from you know the stuff he wrote um yeah, obviously for Sam and Dave to the stuff on hot butter Soul, shaft black Moses, right, right up even to chocolate salty balls, you know, for the South Park mm. crew. There's a consistency to it, you know. So, mm. so
0: oh yeah, I, I, I think he does. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this documentary, you literally just got him sitting around with the yeah. with the the Bar-Kays and with Isaac Hayes. Yeah. And one of the guys was um was playing the bass and he just says and again i don't know if that's contrived but it was there at the time and i've not read anywhere where he said oh i wrote that or i co-authored it but it just felt like they were um collaborating in a way you know um and so giving you sort of that that driving um uh, wah-wah that you get yeah. the start of in shaft's theme I, I want to say also like Soulsville is an amazing song yeah like, um uh, the the it kind of it's a great song it's a song that people you know who know but they don't think of that when they think of shaft I don't think unless you know shaft or unless you're yeah. you know maybe African-American and you're interested in that kind of cinema soulville is an amazing song like by itself it's like the the softer single' you know that when they have an album and you release the single okay you've got the theme from shaft but you've also got soulsville and reggio's cafe is a brilliant song
1: yeah yeah and 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 again that's that's another thing to say about about the shaft soundtrack it must be everybody sampled it yeah everyone sampled it so so i think i think you know like you know in as much of that the back catalogue of ennio morricone you can throw up yeah. Um, that well, that one, you know, like anything from the Shaft soundtrack has probably ended up on a on a hip hop album, and and so, so I, I I think the soundtrack carries the movie. I think
0: it is greater than the movie for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think if you didn't have that soundtrack, if you if you had a more sort of generic, you know, sort of orchestral soundtrack, people yeah. may not remember the movie. It might have been a footnote in history. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like a lot of the other black exploitation films are
0: Bumpy's Lament is uh, is. Uh, sampled by dr dre in his yeah. explosive um tune from the chronic or chronic 2001 or something yeah. and I didn't know that I I know I, I listened to the the I'm watching the film and I'm like oh, that's dre right there I know yeah, yeah.
1: so yeah so so I think I think I think that's it I think and I think and and also that was a massive commercial that that made like two million dollars in like the first six months of its release I think it was just again mm. it was as it was it was it kind of re- relative to i think production outlay it was probably more successful than the film was and it's more enduring i mean to look to the point now where you know like um, i've just remembered this it's it's father ted's favorite song so so that that's how that's how far it reaches so 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 it kind of like has it has its roots obviously its origins in this sort of black exploitation movie and then is referenced in like a, a repeatedly referenced in like a situation comedy about Priests in some cut off rural bit of Ireland, you know, and, and and so that that that's and then sampled by, you know, anybody and everybody, you know, in 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 sort of hip hop history and and it's amazing and and, and, also, and also oh did you know did you know that uh, Isaac Hayes was originally up for the role of John Shaft he was actually considered for it, no I didn't know that yeah and and then obviously off the back of that he had his own. Acting career, so he did Truck Turner, didn't he? That was his black exploitation yeah, movie. I, I, I probably first encountered him. Uh, I probably first encountered him as the Duke of New York in uh, Escape from New York. You know, he's like the great carpenter villains. Yeah, um, more or less dressed like Shaft as well as he's, like, he's like black yeah. leather. You know, yeah. then he's got his shaved bald head and his sort of twitching eye and things like that. And and then I mean, how and how much you know? Obviously, like his his legacy is is, is kind of uh, the 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 last the last great bit of popular entertainment he did was was chef in South Park and how, how much of that in terms of his because because I, I, obviously he was, a very, he was a very moral man wasn't he He was a, famously a Scientologist but he was a very clean living guy yet chef isn't the animated character and yeah. how, how much of the, the animated version of Isaac Hayes relates to the song rather than Isaac Hayes you know because he is this yeah. kind of this lady loving you know cook yeah who's a sex machine to all the animated chicks yeah like that. So yeah. But, well, yeah yeah but the, the the interesting thing about shaft is it wasn't completely embraced by all of the black community was it it was it was seen as uh a very 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 much a, a, a two-edged sword in that it, it provided particularly young black men with a hero because the big thing that you read constantly when you're researching it is that he he says we we had not seen anybody like this. We never get to win. You know, we have Sydney Poitier who's very compliant and polite and slightly asexual. And then all of a sudden we got this guy who's, he's getting the women, killing white people and getting away with it. Yeah. And, but then that, that, then that was completely the point that um, a lot, a lot of black pressure groups and protest groups, you know, was it was at the NAACP, is that right? Mm. Um, who, who, who ironically awarded Ernest Tinyburn. He was one of the few white people to get an award from them. And either that group or equivalent groups criticised Shaft for basically perpetuating stereotypes of, like, the violent, sexually rapacious yeah, yeah. black man. I'd say the one thing that's always amused me about the, the lyrics of Shaft is, is the lyric where it says... He's a complicated man But no one understands him but his woman it's like well why would his woman understand and then she she needs to like she needs to get counseling because part of that understanding is this free license for him to roam and basically hit on and shag anything yeah that takes his fancy which is basically what he does and yeah. he doesn't he just does more so in the novel as well what he's he's sort of uh, you know like so, sort of yeah the novel the novels are so so sexually explicit and that was the thing as a thing as a kind of hormonal teenager that i was always like a little bit a little bit sort of um disappointed with in shaft is it's it's not that violent and it's not that rude it's like mm. the, the, the sex scenes are actually quite tasteful aren't they and you don't want them to be you know it's, it's like you know it, it needs it needs to kind of really be out there and you know and, and, that, and that's something i've not seen it but that's something that sweet sweet back song doesn't have a problem with Really or, or any of the Rudy Ray Moore movies, you know, they, they just go for it, don't they?
0: You know, you were saying about like, like it's a it's a representation um, of black masculinity and black mm-hmm. sexuality in a way yeah. that you just hadn't been seen. Like you, you know, yeah, uh, you were saying that the Quatier um, stuff that you'd seen before uh, was uh, very asexual. Uh, I think that's where its enduring legacy lies in the fact that. Suddenly, you're getting to see this more commercially than Sweetback that came out or Carlisle yeah. that came out the year before. Um, uh, on a big screen, uh, a massive commercial success, and everybody knew about it and everybody went to see it. And, like, you know, that can't be stated uh, highly enough, I don't think. No, As, no, I,
1: I, I absolutely agree, but 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 also, but also um. I would just I would like to I would just like to sort of say that, that there was a precedent for Richard Roundtree. He was he wasn't he was the first that was commercially front and center of a movie. But you also had Jim Brown in the sixties. So so you know Jim Jim Brown for people who don't know he died recently. So you know the, the first black was he the first I think he was the first black American football superstar phenomenally tough guy in 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 a period in that sport where you know if you're a black guy on a football field people weren't taking prisoners and he was famous richard pride has an absolutely fantastic routine about how hard jim brown was talks about throwing a he used to throw rubber rubber rocks at people no rubber bricks at people and Mm. people just didn't know they were rubber bricks he says he throws one at jim brown obviously there's an element of hyperbole in this and it bounces off him but he just doesn't even doesn't even flinch that you know just because he's assumed as it's coming towards him it's a real brick and and mm-hmm. and, and he was a, he was an authentically tough guy pioneering you know putting his health on the line um and then he had a movie career and 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 you know and i want one of my i love the dirty dozen yeah we talked about lee marvin a few a few episodes ago and jim brown is you know is is, is one of my favorite members of the dirty dozen and in there you have him literally. Killing, killing, killing white supremacists at the end. Um, I think he's the one that I'm kills. Lee. No, but that, that was what I was going to say. I mean, but but then he did. He did. There was a lot of controversy in the he did a western with Raquel Welsh, and it was like the first sex scene between a, a black and white woman. What was it, it was hundred rifles, I think. Yeah, and and so and that's in the sixties, and so so he's like laying laying groundwork for mm-hmm. Richard Roundtree, and then Richard Roundtree's success or Shaft gives him an assist. So. You know, for so he's the lead. You know, and and this guy is probably comfortably in his forties at this point. So Jim Brown starts getting the lead in, you know, black exploitation movies, sort of lower budget black exploitation movies. And I think it's Jim Brown. I might have got this wrong. Just to come back to to bring it full circle, back to get Carter, there's there's a remake. There's a black exploitation remake of Get Carter called Hitman. And I think I think Jim Brown plays the um, the, the 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 version of Michael Caine in that. So, so, yeah, I just want, I just want, I just want to acknowledge Jim brown, who who was out there first and yeah. and you know and and we both read uh, scenes from a revolution, didn't we? yeah, I've still got yeah. like a chapter to go yeah. i would stop yeah but you you've read the bit where they talk about and and you know, say like, you know, Sid, Sidney Poitier was equally pioneering totally. in his own way, but they've he reached that sort of cultural impasse, didn't he and um and, and 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 they and at one point they talk about the work he's doing at his prime. With what Jim Brown's doing and how audiences responded more to Jim Brown than 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 Sidney Poitier, Jim Brown sort of they, they call him like basically like a very anachronistic character in the dirty not like he's a proto Black Panther, you know, right. kind of in the dirty not you know, and he's killed a white guy, which is why he's on death row, and then he gets to kill lots of the worst type of white guys, Nazis, you know, things like that. Mm. And so black audiences really responded to that. And then a few years later, you've got Shaft and stuff. So. So there we go. So, so yeah. We punched a film that
0: ultimately was bigger than the sum of its parts. It's a cultural monolith. It's
1: it like, really you know, it's, it's, it's the beloved movie. It's a phenomenal commercial and cult success. And, you know, as it should be, yeah. I just wish it was a better movie. Same. Um, Same. And, yeah. yeah. And, and by the time they get to the third one, I have to say that Shaft in Africa is the most it's the most ridiculous and it's the most entertaining of the three, hmm. you know, and, and what what did you think? Because I rewatched I rewatched um, the John Singleton Shaft movie. I don't, I don't know. I've never seen it. I don't think I, I remember reviewing it, and w- which, which took me back to kind of rewatching Shaft and, and realizing it wasn't very good. So that was that was the kind of genesis of this 20 year sort of issue with the original Shaft. It's all right. You know, again, considering like the the amount of talent involved, it should be better than all right. You know, Samuel L. Jackson's great uh, up to a point. Um, but there's just too much going on. It's it's almost like the opposite of this. The plot's very simple. The plot's so overly complicated in the John Singleton shaft. The one thing they get right, I say, well, they get right in the casting. Samuel L. Jackson's good. You, you know, um, and is bringing back Richard Roundtree, and he has a fantastic cameo. In it, and He's great, and and it's terrific acting. Um, and they keep the soundtrack. They don't. They don't monkey with that at all you know they, they keep the soundtrack and keep it keep it the same and uh and the, the one really good thing in, in the movie is actually christian bale i'm not a massive fan of he's phenomenal as the villain in that really really good just obnoxious or sort of preppy white racist murderer and and I've never, I've never seen the character i want to die so much <laughs> in, in a recent film so so yeah i mean the legacy continues and i'm, I'm guessing in 10 years time they'll be reviving Shaft, you know and you'd imagine that now with all the the, the, the sort of tension between police and the black community uh y- you'd want another shaft movie you know with him going going after some like murderous racist cops and things like that some of the rampart but, some of the la ramparts but but, but 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 you but you mentioned it earlier you know like perhaps the greatest legacy of shaft is black panther
0: you know, the yeah. fact that
1: you don't you don't have to keep remaking shaft, you know, it's set a precedent by which, you know, you shouldn't have to do this generationally, that, that a film comes along that reminds studios, because really all they care about is the money, that there is a massive black audience out there for black black heroes. But but really? but the difference with black Black Panther is it's just incredibly well made. I'm not a massive fan of movie, but it's like you can't fault it like technically in terms of its casting, it's just brilliantly made
0: um I, I in one of the documentaries about revisiting shaft uh one of the ladies said that she likes to joke that when hollywood goes broke they remember that there's a black audience this is uh, true
1: this is true because it, it was it was a, yeah 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 uh, it's true yeah, yeah there's yeah, definitely
0: and it, and it, that, um, that 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 very clear line between shaft
1: and um wakanda isn't there you know yeah God. there is yeah and and, and then you know, I mean, I mean, and the nice thing about about Shaft is it opened up. It wasn't it wasn't just a repetition of like black urban thrillers. there were sort of black horror movies rather, as like Blackula, Ganja and Ass,
0: hmm.
1: yeah, Frank and Blackenstein. Um, you know, there were there were black musicals. You know, I mean, you had Car Wash, and then you had you know big studios investing in Bomb, but like in in the Wiz, you know. and... And things like that, and even even Bond, it comes full circle, doesn't it? Because because Bond in the seventies is copying everything; it's trend setting in the sixties, and it's reacting to to, to trends. So so the first Roger Moore Bond is yeah. for whole sections of it a black exploitation Bond. It's got yeah. Bond in Harlem, you know, Bond in Haiti, yeah. you know, yeah. then and then it, you see that now, you know, you see you know you know with with the success of uh, you know you with, with you know with Get Out as well. You have got this great great black black horror movie. That opens the door for lots of other black horror movies and as it should be some are great some are garbage you know, and, yeah and that's that's the commercial level playing field isn't it you've got the right to put your movies out some of them are going to be good some should be bad you know and, and, and the fortunes of a of a sort of demographics industry can't rest on just one thing flopping you know so which means we, we pull the plug on everything else you know and whatnot.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a a dice game, isn't it, mate? Like um, all yeah. the dice and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, yeah. It's part of the business. Well, on that note, I think we can wrap this one up, don't you?
1: Yeah. 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 I think we've covered every every, every jot and tittle of, <laughs> of, of, the, of the
0: Shaftiverse. Would you like to let our listeners know what the next
1: podcast yeah. will be? Yeah, you sent you sent me an email a few weeks ago, and, and I can see your face. For those of you not watching this on YouTube, your face is slightly hardening now. Yeah, because because we were going to do we were going to do Moulin Rouge. which we keep, this seems to be the perpetual football you're swimming towards that never get well, this. Interesting
0: thing about Moulin Rouge is that every time I say I'm going to do it, you always give me an out. So if you're going to give me an out, then I'm going to take the out.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair Maybe I don't time. want to watch Moulin Rouge. I think that might be the thing. I, I might be so burned by my experience, which we'll talk about when we get around to Moulin Rouge, uh, yeah. watching Elvis and and and, and the uh, and did you? I saw a trailer for. Do you know he's re-edited Australia? You know the the, the huge right. ad, and and released it released it as a Hulu TV series, a six episode Hulu TV series. Basil Erman has, without without kind of acknowledging that it's the film everyone didn't go and see like a decade or so ago. TV series so that, wanted to see. Yeah. Saw. yeah, and if his films weren't long enough already, but but it was like, so yeah, I, I, maybe I don't want to see it because I got really, really badly burned watching Elvis Um well, Season eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this might this might be the sort of perpetual running joke that we never get to yeah, rude. rude. We'll and and the time we do it will be the time to kind of stop doing the podcast. But yeah, no, no, you sent me an email and as we do before we did this podcast, we used to send each other like mammoth five thousand, six thousand word emails. And they and, and, and two-thirds of them would just be like swapping off film recommendations. And you you recommended to me um a horror film that I had heard of, obviously, but had never seen and was aware of how beloved this film is and, and and this will end up being the most recent film that we've uh, we've tackled and it is a beloved court classic called one cut of the dead a japanese zombie film shot in one take and i watched it and to my horror i didn't like it and i thought oh how am i going to tell damien i know let's make this a podcast so there's rules. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's thrash this out. I'll, I'll just I told you I didn't like it, but I didn't say why. Are we going to withhold it till the next episode? So we're gonna, we're going to kick about one cut of the dead and an advanced spoiler warning. Um, I think I think when we give spoiler warnings for films that are fifty years old, it's it's a little bit perfunctory. You know, if you're watching a podcast about a movie that's that old, you should expect. Yeah. To maybe know a little bit about it or not be too far with this one, it's different. Well, because yeah, we have to talk about it in terms of spoilers, otherwise yeah. we can't talk about it. So if you're gonna tune in or whatever you do with podcasts, you don't tune into podcasts. I don't know what the word is because I'm so old, but it's like please watch the film. And we and we will reiterate we will reiterate that warning in the trailers and in the introduction, but yeah. you have to watch the film even though I don't like the film, I wouldn't want to spoil it for anybody. The film's awesome, by the way.
0: <laughs> so we've got another one where Grumpy McGrumpy uh, doesn't yeah. like,
1: and, uh, and I do, but no, before we sign off, another reason, another reason why I'm probably taking the help is because you went very, very dark on Inception. There was some, there was some bilious stuff that came out of your mouth you know there was it was more nah, well, the attitude there was there was real hate there i mean I, you know yeah. and, and so I'm, I, I worry for you so <laughs> i i can i can i can i Need can hold the, light the yeah i can hold the light and darkness intention and still and still at yeah. least come across as reasonably chipper even though my brain is like some fetid swamp of malice so <laughs> so there we go <laughs> wonderful well nice one thank you everybody for tuning
0: in it, again if that's the thing that you do with podcasts yeah listening um we appreciate everybody who's listened all, all the tens of people that have listened to these podcasts yeah, yeah we love you we adore you thank you so much uh please like email us punching up movie at gmail.com um uh, put comments on the pod bean uh or wherever you get your podcast
1: Spotify
0: yeah so we can get like five upticks for our from our five listeners maybe we can get seven listeners next week um, but yeah, thank you very much from sunny Australia. Thank you and au revoir. And thank you very much
1: from very rainy England. Yeah. Ciao. mission has been completed. Really?